Hey guys, this is Pastor Kyle here alongside Pastor Bailey. Grateful that you guys have tuned in to our podcast. We trust that what you're about to hear will be beneficial for your day, and we're grateful that you've stopped by to hear what the Lord is doing in Milledgeville. There we are. Perfect. Well, good evening. I hope you guys have had a good rest of your Lord's Day. Uh, we're continuing in a three-part series that we started three weeks ago, uh, the threefold use of the law. So tonight, if you turn with me to Psalm 119, we'll be in verses 9 through 11. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. We're concluding this study uh, as we see that the law will be our guide. We started week one by seeing it as a mirror. As we looked in a mirror, we got to see who we are in the law of our sin, but also we get to see the beauty of God's righteousness. From there, Pastor Brian led us as we saw the law was a restraint, like a leash, keeping us and preventing us from being as bad as we really could be. And tonight we'll see the law as a guide. Now, when it comes to guides, specifically tour guides, there's two kinds of people. If you're going on a tour guide like my wife and I did, for our anniversary in Savannah about this time last year, give or take a couple of months. There's uh, tour guides. You can go through these old historic houses, and we went on a couple of those. There's two kinds of people, like I said. There's people like my wife that want to listen intently. They want to hear everything. They want to hear all the history. They want to read everything. They want to see all the things to be seen. The rule followers. And then there's uh, kindred spirits of mine that don't like to be led, that don't want to be guided. You want to do your own thing, forge your own way. You want to go behind those velvet ropes. You want to jiggle those handles on the doors that uh, people say don't go behind. You want to see if they're unlocked. You don't like to be guided. Basically, you're mischievous. Well, as I said, Jen and I did a, a historic uh, tour and we were being led by a guide and I quickly learned that tour guides will not let you go to the places that necessarily that you want to go but the path that they have designed for you. If you're like me, whether we like it or not, life is full of guides that will make sure you keep to the path that they have laid out before you. As I said, uh, being married to a huge rule follower and uh, someone who loves those things. It's actually led me to enjoy being led even on tour guides, even if you don't like the one leading the tour guide, uh, because it's made it more enjoyable. I no longer have to guess if I'm going the right way. I find myself more informed, but most importantly, I find myself getting in less and less trouble from those tour guides. The law of God should, law of God should be enjoyed for the same reasons, friends. It leads us in the way to go, it rightly informs us, and it prevents us from stumbling in to our sins. Do you view God as how you view perhaps a Torah guide, something to be avoided? It's specifically in his law, has your flesh, flesh deceived you into thinking true pleasure is found beyond those doors that you're told not to go behind? Or... Do you recognize being guided by the law is both for your pleasure and God's pleasure? Do you see the beautiful guide that is God's law? That's my aim this evening, that we would leave from here seeing the beauty of the law of God. The law is your guide 
to living a life pleasing to God. If you have a bulletin, that would be our main point that we will see this evening. So join me in prayer as we pray towards that aim that we would see this truth from God's word. Father, we pray and we ask that we would be given eyes to see your law as beautiful as it is, as it reveals who you are as we've already seen. But I pray that we would see it as the guide designed to lead us into vitality of life. That all of your words would be as honeycomb to our soul as we'll spend time in Psalm 119 this evening and seeing the psalmist go on and on and on about the beauty of your law, I pray that would be true of us as well. All for your name and your glory, we pray and ask these things. Amen. Now, our time tonight is going to be divided in a couple of questions you'll see there as your headers. The first question is, what is my guide? I gave it away there in our intro. What the, our guide is, we'll see, is the law. But it's, it's really a needed guide. We all need a guide. If we're going somewhere that we hope to make it to our end destination, we can't just hope to go on our own. As much as we like to be trailblazers, we need a guide, and this is what we'll see in Psalm 119, 9 through 11. So join me in verse 9 as we seek to answer this question, what is my guide? How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What is your guide if you're taking notes? It's God's law. We saw in verse 9, your word. Verse 10, your commandment. Verse 11, your word again. God's law is our guide. God's law is your guide, Christian. It's a needed guide. But why do you need a guide? Why do I need a guide? Well, if we hope to live a life pleasing to God, which is our aim here now that we're actually in Christ, we need a God. And God is a good God. I, I ask this question often in street evangelism, do you believe God is a good God? And most people say yes, or at least I hope so. And to that end, I say, don't you believe then a, him being a good God would give us a guide how to live our life? Well, absolutely is what we find here in God's word. Yes, in God's word, we truly have a guide. But why need a guide? Why do we need it? If you're taking notes, you need a standard that guides you in living a life pleasing to God. You need a standard. If you don't have a set standard, then you're going to live your life however you want to live your life. Do we not see this so frequently in our culture today? We don't have a set standard if we don't believe God's word is authoritative or sufficient for our life, so we live however we want. This is where we get subjective moralism. This is where we get to the point where we have gotten to in our country. We don't have a set standard. And as for us as Christians, it's not just an individualistic relationship that you have. While yes, as an individual, you have a relationship with your God, it is absolutely a set standard across Christendom how to live your life. Romans 6, 17 through 18, 
says this, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. You were set free from your sin. That's what happened when Christ saved you, came in and justified you. But now you have a set standard of commandment of which you, to, of which you are to live your life in, in this life of obedience now afterwards. A standard that will, what we saw in our text, a standard that will, verse 9, keep your way pure. A standard that will not let you wander from God's commandments. Verse 11, a standard that will allow you not to sin. The question that was asked by the psalmist is, how can a young man keep his way pure? The question you might be asking is, how can I live a life pleasing to God? It's a standard of holiness that we see in God's law. This is the third use of the law. The law is a guide of how you are to become like your God. Is that not the aim of your life? The law is not just to take from you something like that tour guide will tell you not to go behind those doors. It's not because the best part of the tour is behind those doors. It's probably because that's just a broom cupboard. There's probably nothing really great behind those doors. And even if there is, it's not what they have in store for you and the joy that's actually there on the tour in the same way with the law. The law is not given to you to take from you something. Your flesh will trick you into believing that. But the truth is, God's law is not only to please him, but also for the vitality of your life. So that's the foundation that we had to set as we're trying to understand how the law is our guide. Now, the question that many of you may be asking, and I know I've I've heard this from some of you, uh, is which law? right? There's so many different laws. Is is the entirety of the law my guide? Well, there's a remaining guide for you here. If you're going on a tour guide and you're, you're waiting for the bus to come and pick you up and one by one the tour guides are leaving, you have one remaining tour guide of which you can go, go on that tour with. And in the same way as we'll see with the law, that there was a threefold division of the law. And Bear with me here as I think this could be very useful for you in understanding the three different uses of the law so that way you know which law still applies. Has anyone ever asked you the question, why don't we still uh, adhere to those dietary laws? Why do we wear certain clothes that we wear if we're supposed to keep the law? These are answers to those very questions. So which law is my guide? Is it the civil law? These were Israel-specific cultural responsibilities. Israel-specific, God gave them specifically to one nation in one period of time as their cultural responsibility. This included things from restitution of a man if he was gored by an ox. I don't think many of us have ever come across that situation in our life today, but it was a cultural responsibility for them. Also, things included things like uh, responsibility for a man who fell in a pit that you dug and how you're to make restitution to that man. I don't know many of you guys that spend most of your time digging pits and having friends or neighbors falling into them. So is the civil law the law of which is your guide as you're taking notes? No. Why? Christ fulfilled these Israel-specific cultural responsibilities by never breaking them. Christ never broke these cultural responsibilities as he lived and he lived a Hebrew life. 
You couldn't find anywhere in the scriptures where Christ sins specifically in even the civil law. So then the next question, if it's not the civil law, what about the ceremonial law? The ceremonial meaning custom of a nation. Again, it was given to specific people. These laws were instructions for regarding and regaining their right standing before God. So we've seen this a bunch in Hebrews, and this is what spurned us to even get into this series because we're seeing a lot of sacrificial system. We're seeing a lot of law. We're seeing feasts and festivals. These were the ceremonial laws. These were dietary and clothing restrictions that we've seen. Also, what we've got to see is the signs that point to the coming Messiah, like the Sabbath, circumcision, Passover, and the redemption of the firstborn. So is the ceremonial law your guide? No. Christ secured your right standing with God by fulfilling these customs of a nation. Remember, back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 16, I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Christ fulfilled it. These are two of the three divisions, which leaves us with the final one, the moral law. These relate to justice and judgment, and these are based on God's holy nature. As such, they're holy and just, and therefore, they are unchanging. These are the laws, friends, that are your guide. Their purpose is to promote the welfare of those who obey it. These are what we see in the essence of the Ten Commandments. So yes, the moral law is your guide because Christ not only affirmed it, but also amplified it. You can see that in Matthew 5 through 7 as he's teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Have you ever asked the question, though, why? I'm giving you a lot of information, and I think this is a firm foundation of which we need to spring off of if we're hoping to apply it. Well, why does the moral law still stand? Why did Christ build off on top of it? Why are some of these teachers that tell us we're to do away with all of the law, we can't chop up the law that way? Why, why are they incorrect here? Well, these moral laws are based on the holy nature of God doing away with them, he would be doing harm or violence to his own character. R.C. Sproul says it this way, to abrogate, which means to do away with. For God to abrogate these laws would be to do violence to his own person. For example, if God in the old covenant said, you shall have no other gods before me, but now he says it's okay for you to have other gods and to be involved in idolatry, God would be doing violence to his own character and nature. In the same way, if you could go down and apply the same truth to every one of the Ten Commandments. Why should you not murder? Because man is made in the image and likeness of God. If God would affirm that and do away with that, it would be doing violence to his own nature. These are unchanging. This is what you build your life upon. And here I think it's important before we go on to asking the practicals of how does the law now guide me to remind us of this truth. In John 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, Christ. The very word of God, Christ, is the law. These are not two opposing ideas, but a beautiful, as we get to see this morning, paradox, that Christ is not coming to fulfill something so that way you don't have to pursue it, but he has fulfilled it so that way you can pursue it with all vigor, with all ambition, 
with all knowledge of knowing that your approval in God was found in Christ and Christ alone. But now you have the joy of pursuing the things that bring pleasure to your God. Do you not as a child so much want to please your parents? I don't know about you. I did so many things. I was little. I would put on talent shows for my parents or I would paint awful stick figure things just to want to see them smile. I want to bring pleasure to my father. And in the same way now, we're not left guessing of what brings our father pleasure. He's shown us in the beauty of his word. But let's talk practicals. How does the law then guide me? Verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. How does the law guide me to keep my way pure? How does it guide me? How does it guide you? By guarding your heart. As a good guide is by definition a good guard. They make you aware or alert. If you're going on a tour guide, they're saying, watch your step here. It's slippery. Watch your head here. That's a low-hanging thing. There's rocks here. It's a good guard for you to keep you from going into the places that are going to be harmful or hurtful. The moral law guides your hearts by making you aware of potential dangers, make you aware of your lust. They make you aware of your anger, apathy, greed. James 4.2 would say, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel, you do not have, because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. James is making us aware of the stature of our heart. The heart is the seat, the root of all impurity that flows from mankind, and the law is a guide to show us, as we saw in a mirror, a restraint on that heart, but also it guides and protects our heart from the things that our heart wants most. And the thing that our heart wants most, the thing that your heart wants most is to sin. And it's a good guard given to you by a good God to keep you, to lead you away from your flesh, to lead you towards him. Indeed, Christian, the law is your guide to living a life pleasing to God. Do you ever wilt underneath the encouragement or admonitions of the law? I know how often I can. I see it when I sit across the table from some of you guys and having conversations when I must tell you the truth and love, as Ephesians 4.15 says. But it's just as a faithful friend seeks to guard you from harm, the the friend that sticks closer than a brother in Christ seeks to do the same through his law and guarding you. Perhaps a second question to consider is, how does the law guide me to seek God with my whole heart? We saw this in verse 10. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. How does the law guide me? How does it guide you to seek God with your whole heart? by not letting you wander. As a good hiking or tour guide won't let you wander too far from the path because they know that there's falling rocks or wild animals or dangers along the paths with deep ravines and 
so many treacherous things that are just right off the path. A good guide won't let you wander too far. And your good God has given you a good law to be used for your good, to keep you from wandering. You can read through Proverbs, and I I thought about this uh, as I was studying this week, and how often there's this comparison between the straight path and the wide path. How often there is this comparison between the right way and the wrong way. And it's such a line that we can't walk of our own regard, that we need Christ to guide us. And he doesn't just do this esoterically. He doesn't just do this in emotion or feeling, but he gives us his word that guides us practically. As a good tour guide will give you a a map trail so you know where the paths go, Christ has given you in of himself an example of how we are to obey the law, a guide path to not let you wander from your God. We wonder, don't we? That's why we sing it, prone to wander. God, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. The moral law seeks as well to prevent you from wandering from the path of righteousness. It's truly given to you as a guide to live a life pleasing to God. Perhaps the third question to ask is, how does the law guide me to not sin against God? That's really what we're getting after in the Christian life. If the Christian life is now not about earning something that you've already been freely given in salvation that we saw by faith this morning, then the call for us is to how to live a life glorifying to God. Here, I would like to draw our attention to the first question in the Westminster Catechism. So what is the chief end of man? It's to glorify God, but also to enjoy him forever. How else do we think we're to glorify God and enjoy him forever, save apart from joyful obedience to his law. How does the law guide me not to sin against God? We saw that in verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How does the law guide me? How does it guide you to not sin against God? By making its home in your heart. How beautiful is this? A good guide doesn't just inform your mind. If you're going on a tour guide, the ones that you actually can put up with, I don't know if you're like me, the one, the tour guides I can actually put up with are the ones that are not just trying to inform my mind, but it's also the one that endears themselves to me, that makes that history come alive, that makes me feel what the people who lived in those places felt, that made me actually empathetic and that tour guide spoke to my heart. Well, Two, the moral law is not just to inform your mind of right and wrong, but to inspire your heart to joyful obedience, obedience to your God. We got to see this in Hebrews. Romans 1 teaches us this as well, that the law of God has now been written on our hearts 
It's no longer just something we read on a page or it's not no longer something that we just got to see in the old laws of the Ten Commandments written on stone, but now it's written in your heart. The law of God has made its home in your heart that you might not sin against him. This is why we do the Christian work of memorizing scripture. This is why we constantly feed on the word of God because it's already there and we just need constant reminder. And the spirit is good enough to bring to our remembrance all the things that we've been taught. The law guides us. It truly is a good God. But why do we feel this weight when it comes to the law? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt the law is burdensome? If you've ever felt that, we don't see the beauty of the harmony of the law and the gospel. The gospel didn't come, the good news of Christ, just to simply do away with the law, but to fulfill it and to show us the law is right if it's used lawfully as a guide for our life. Do you struggle constantly with sin? Perhaps unrepentant, repeated, sin that just makes you sit in sorrow and perhaps even self-doubt of whether or not you're actually in Christ or not. Yes, you need to remind yourself of the gospel, the good news of Christ, that Christ died for that sin and he's cast it as far as the east is from the west. But what you need to do afterwards is to take up the sword of faith, the word of God, to slay the flesh that remains and continue to press forward and let that word guide you. As kings would go away often, to take care of the affairs of their broad empires, they would leave stewards in their place. Men that were capable of taking care of the welfare of his people while they were gone, while he was gone. We get to see in Galatians 3 that the law was our guardian, given to us to rule us until Christ came. And that's what we feel at times, that Christ has already come and therefore, we no longer have to live a life completely obedient, 110% to the law in order to have God's approval. Christ did that. But this guardian and this law remains here for us as our king is still reigning and ruling, but will one day come again. It's a guide. It doesn't guide us just in our individual lives, but in our relationships around us. How do you expect to be the husband that you want to be without looking to God's law and telling you the man to be? The student, the employee, the son, the daughter. God's law has something to say to each one of these as it shapes our heart and who we are. So we see that the moral law stands because it's a reflection of who God is and who he's calling us to be. We're made in that Imago day, and this is a process of the moral law restoring into us the image of God yet again. Pastor Bailey read from our guiding confession this morning, 
And I would like to read again this evening from chapter 19 on the law of God. If these are new thoughts to you or things that you haven't heard before previously, this is why we have a guiding confession. It teaches us in a succinct paraphrase-like manner everything that we've discussed this evening. It says this in chapter 19, sentence 3, commonly called the moral law, God was pleased to give to the people of Israel those ceremonial laws like we talked about, containing several typical ordinances, partly of worship, prefiguring Christ, all which ceremonial laws being appointed only to the time of reformation are by Jesus Christ, the true Messiah and only law giver, who was furnished with power from the Father for that end, abrogated and taken away. It's beautiful language, Allow me to succinctly paraphrase what they're saying there. The moral law stands, and it's given by Christ, the lawgiver. So we have to wrestle in our hearts that the law is given to us by Christ, the one who fulfilled the law for us in the first place. So we cannot give ourselves an intellectual out by saying Christ came and fulfilled the law, therefore I don't have to obey Paul does away with this in Romans 6.1. Should I go on sinning so may grace may abound all the more? No, may it never be so. So as we're letting this settle in on our hearts this evening, the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we being guidable? Is my view of God prohibiting or inhibiting my being guided by God? When we look at the psalmist here in these three verses, you see him asking questions in verse nine. He's seeking to be guided. He's seeking to be guided specifically by the word. Are you being guidable in your submission to the law? Is it a pleasure to your soul to see your God's desire for you and you want to? continue to obey? Are you being guidable, not in just your lip service to the law, but your heart behind it? Has the law became legalism to you, to the letter of which you can say, and I can check the box, but my heart is far from my God in it? What does being guidable look like? Looks like loving your God supremely. And your answer to his question is yes. When he asks you, how am I to live? When you ask that, how am I to live? When he were to ask you, son or daughter, will you live according to my law? The answer is yes. How do we know as the Branch Church Milledgeville if we are being guided by God's law? We can look to the external easily. But friends, I would I'd encourage you to look internally. Because Christ, when he came and he was asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? It was not a matter of exterior obedience, but it was a matter of inward love 
What is the greatest commandment? To love your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor. How do we know? How do you know if you are being guided by the moral law? You have an abundance of love for your God overflowing into love for those around you. Not just in word, but in deed. Not just in passing, but in intentionality. Not just in merit, but in sacrifice. Not just in your own strength, but the strength of Christ. Not for your own selfish ambition, but for the welfare of the fellowship. Not for your glory or this church's glory, but for Christ's glory. Not that we may be known in Milledgeville as a church that loves, but that this city would know that there is a God who has first loved us, therefore we love. Will you be guidable as you leave here this evening? Will this be yet another sermon that you hear on God's law? And it bounces around in your brain as you're sitting in here or will this become assimilated into your life? Would you see that all of God's thou shalts and thou shall nots are for your good and his glory in this city's being drawn unto himself? That it's truly for the good of your family, for your workplace, for your soul, and the soul of everyone that you have the joy of carrying the gospel to. The law is your guide to living a life pleasing to God. If you hear that and all you think is about your action of what you do to please your God, have you forgotten that your God is pleased with you because of the Son? The law is your guide in living a life pleasing to God in light of the life lived pleasing to God of the Son. I see us as a church that has, I think it's fair to say, solid orthodoxy, sound teaching. From seeing your other faithful elders, I think it's something that not only that we can say because we seek to exposit God's word for itself, but also because I see the fruit bearing your guys' lives and the conversations I have with you as your pastor. But the challenge here this evening is not just to see the law as orthodoxy, but the law as orthopraxy. Sound affection. If God's law does nothing to your heart or your hands, it is hot air for your brain and it will well you up into pride. As our pastor, I, I see that often in our flock of the beauty of the love that you guys have for God's word. But specifically, when we teach on a three-part series about God's law, it's my prayer, as it is your other elders' prayer, that it wouldn't just fill our minds, but it would inflame our hearts 
and empower our hands to love as we've been loved, as we've been shown by this good guide how to love because we've been first loved. Father, thank you that your law is a guide.